0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. We've kicked off a series that we've entitled Kingdom Builders. And when it comes to this title, Kingdom Builders, I mean, I love it because I grew up in a house with four other brothers, and so we were always building something. Uh, We used to live in Morgan Hill off of Hale, and uh, we would just start building. We were just real little, and I haven't grown up that much since then, but uh, building forts is just something we did, and we built this two-story fort, and our goal in building this two-story fort was not to use any nails. We just used ropes and twine, and we built this two-story fort. And if you've ever heard of the story of the three little pigs, how the big bad wolf, he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house down, that's kind of what happened to this two story fort. Luckily, none of us were in it. And then my parents moved from uh, Morgan Hill to Madeira and they bought two acres. And on those two acres, uh, my brothers and I had this idea where we were like, we're gonna we're gonna build an underground fort. You see, my parents didn't let us watch Disney movies, no lie, but we were allowed to watch old war movies. Go figure. And we'd watch The Great Escape, where they dug this huge tunnel. So we were like, we're gonna dig an underground fort and escape this oppression. And so we we dug this underground fort, and they had one large room, had tunnels to other rooms, and then we covered it with some two by fours, and then over the two by fours, plywood over the plywood we put a tarp and over the tarp we put dirt so over time the grass grew on top of the roof and you couldn't see our underground fort and then we even made a little hole where we could jump into if friends or people that were coming and we wanted to ditch them we could go run into our underground fort and drop down and we we used this other little piece of plywood that also had a tarp dirt and grass on it so we could cover the hole and it was completely camouflaged we would run and hide in there That was a great fort until we sold that house. And part of the contingencies of selling the house was my parents had to fill that in. Now, we lived there for a couple of years. So all the dirt we took out of the ground was just gone. So my dad had to figure out where he's going to get all this dirt to fill this thing. He wasn't too happy. But we sold the house, moved on. And we got another house. And man, our, as we got older, our tree forts got more elaborate. We had a zip line cord. We had a rope swing. We had a fireman's pole. There was different rooms. There was rope ladders. It was awesome. We would spend the night out in that tree house. It was a lot of fun just growing up building things. So when we have a series entitled Kingdom Builders, I get building, right? Like building things. I get building forts. I even get building a relationship. I get building a career. I get building friendships or a marriage or building a family, I get that. But when it comes to building the kingdom, it's kind of like, well, how how do you do that? Well, I think first we have to first say, what is the kingdom? You see, the Bible is the story of a king and his kingdom. Nowadays, we're not used to kingdom language because we are in a democracy, a republic, where we vote on elected officials. And in other areas of the country, more and more, they're leaning towards democracy. And so we don't see as much of kingdoms. Now, you have monarchies that are more of like a figurehead, uh, so to speak, today. But we don't quite understand it as much in the West. But here, we look at the Bible, and we see that God is saying that he is the king of the universe, and everything in it is his domain. It's his kingdom. So we're building his kingdom. We are often focused on bringing earth to heaven and not bringing heaven to earth. And the goal of a Christian is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the goal, right? We're, We're building. We're building God's kingdom. You say, well, okay, well, how do I do that? By evangelism and expansion. You see, the goal of every kingdom is expansion. That's God's goal, is to expand the family of God, to tell more and more people about Jesus Christ, that He is our Lord and Savior who died on a cross. So when we talk about building the kingdom, that's what we're talking about, expanding God's kingdom. And in our context, we're talking about doing that in San Jose, California, Santa Clara County. That's our goal. And this goes right with Matthew six thirty-three. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. But when it comes to a kingdom builder, this doesn't just mean we build externally. It also means we build internally. And so with that in mind, would you take your Bible to the book of Ezra? Ezra chapter number one. You'll find Ezra in the Old Testament. It's after 2 Chronicles. Ezra chapter number one. I want to give us context for this book. And so we find the context for the book of Ezra in chapter number one. I'll read just five verses. If you didn't bring a copy of God's word, we would love to give you a Bible at the end of the service, or you can watch on the screen as I read this passage. The word of God says this. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put the proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord. If you take notes or you underline, I would underline that, that their purpose was to build the temple of the Lord. Verse 3, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. Verse four, wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver, gold, supplies for the journey, livestock, as well as voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Verse five, then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. So we see the context is the King Cyrus is sending a group of people after 70 years of captivity out of Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, if we were to go to chapter 2, you see a long list of names of all the people that went back to Israel to rebuild the temple. For sake of time, we will skip chapter 2, forgive me, and go straight to chapter number 3, and let's look at six verses in chapter 3. It says in verse number 1, in early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, joined the fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they built the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. They celebrated the festival of of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon, celebrations and the annual feasts as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. 15 days before the festival of shelters began, the priests had began to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Now that last sentence is really curious. They did a bunch of sacrifices. They had some festivals. They had some feasts all before they started their intended purpose in chapter one their intended purpose is to build the temple that's why they went back to build the temple but in chapter three they still have not built the temple instead they did something else and that's kind of curious isn't it because if you were going to go somewhere that you haven't been in 70 years you would think that you would prioritize some things right if you go to a new place the first thing or if you're lost the first most important thing is to find food and shelter right? Those are the priorities, food and shelter. And then after that, you're going to protect, get some protection, some things around. But that's not what they do in this passage, is it? They do something that's counterintuitive. They do something that when I read chapter 3, I was like, wait a minute, they're not even doing what they were told to do when they go back to the the nation of Israel. They started building the altar. Why would you start with the altar? I mean, if you don't have walls to protect this altar, it's going to do you no good. Why would they start sacrificing? And think about this. In chapter 1, they had to borrow things to go back to Israel. It wasn't like they were wealthy in Babylon. It wasn't like they were like, hey, you know what? My startup really hit big, and I cashed out. Now let's go back to Israel, and I'll I'll, I'll franchise over there. It's going to be great. No, they had to borrow things, and they went back. So to sacrifice what they had, This is an agrarian society, so for them to have to sacrifice their animal and their food for all these feasts and all these festivals, what are they thinking? You know, there's a lot to be said about what you and I do first in our life. Our priorities say a lot about us. I mean, when you wake up, you and I usually have something we do first. When I wake up, the first thing that I do, you're like, you kiss Jane, good morning, and say good morning, sunshine, you beautiful person, you lucky, blessed woman, you. No, not at all, that's not what I do. I probably should, but that's not what I do. The first thing that I do is I turn off my alarm clock, I get out of bed, And I make the bed. That's the first thing I do is I make the bed. It wakes me up. It accomplishes something. The first thing I do is I make the bed. The second thing that I do is I go downstairs. I grab my journal and I grab my Bible and I spend time with God. That's the first thing. You are spending the first day of the week in church. You're saying, hey, church, first day of the week, this is important. I would also say that spending time at the beginning of your day is important because our priorities share a lot about us. Here, they've come back. They've been in exile for 70 years. There's been no festival, no feast. There's been no sacrifices for 70 years. And what's the first thing they do? Is they're going to sacrifice. They're going to worship God. The most important thing they could do was not build a wall, not build a temple, but was to sacrifice You see, what they were doing is they were demonstrating something powerful and profound. You see, they were repairing the altar. And the altar means that you go from in to all in. You see, they were going to build up an altar and they wanted people to know we're not just in, we're all in because remember, they're sacrificing their livelihood, they're sacrificing their animals and they are trusting God to provide because if they sacrifice these sheep, these goats, it's not like they can go to the Walmart, the Costco and they can go over there and just kind of get whatever they need. There wasn't anything there. Everybody's been gone for 70 years. Jerusalem's weeds and everything's broken down and they have to repair it. So for them to sacrifice... This is a big deal, my friend. This is a huge deal. Matter of fact, I want to show you a picture of this altar. I want to put it up here on the screen so you can get a picture. There's the temple. There's the labor. They were washed. And then there's the altar. And they said they rebuilt the altar. That was the first thing they did. They wanted the altar. They wanted people to know this is what's important. This is our priority. My friend, what's priority in your life? You see, the priority for them was we need God. We're going to worship God, but we're going to put him first. Why was that so important? Because the very reason they were in Babylon in the first place because of a thing called idolatry. You know what idolatry was? It was that their heart worshiped something other than God. So they were correcting the mistakes of the past. They said, hey, we learned a lesson after 70 years. We're not making that same mistake. Our forefathers, our our grandparents, they were idol-worshiping pagans that worshiped other false deities. We're going to worship the one true God, and they wanted that to be first. As they were rebuilding this nation, they said, God, you are first, which goes in track with Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. It's not what we're going to build externally in San Jose, but what God wants to do internally in your life and in my life. We start internally, not externally. And today, too often, we want to start externally instead of saying, God, I want to do something inside. And it starts with our priority. They corrected their priority. My priority really determines the quality of life I'm going to have. Your priority set the direction for your life. What you'll prioritize. If the first thing that you do when you wake up is to look at Instagram, that shows you what your priority is. If the first thing that you do is, oh, I need to eat something, that shows you what the priority is. What is the first thing in your life that reveals a lot about you? And their first act was an act of sacrifice. How powerful is that? How powerful is that where God is calling us back to, hey, it's sacrifice first. And here's what's wonderful. You see, the altar represented the heart. We don't have an altar today. We have a heart and our heart is much like the altar. Like the altar set the direction for everything Israel did, our heart sets the direction for everything you and I do. It all starts with the heart. This is why in the book of Proverbs, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How do relationships break apart? It started in the heart. What happens with a parent and their children? How did the division start? Well, you didn't have the heart of your child. What happened to a relationship is the fact that they want something. They want your heart. Children want the heart of the father. A wife wants the heart of her husband. The husband wants the heart of his wife. They want your heart. And isn't that interesting that God, when he sent Jesus to earth, Jesus rewrote the Ten Commandments? And he said this about the Ten Commandments. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy finances. Is that what he said? He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your service. Always be serving me. Is that what he said? Did he say, You will love me by giving everything to the poor? No. He said, You love me with all your heart, with everything you have. You see, a change of heart will change everything. And that's what they understood. A change of heart changes everything. You want to change your home? Change your heart. You want to change your marriage? Change your heart. You want to change your workplace? Change your heart. You want to change your church? Change your heart. You want to change the world around you? It starts with the heart. Everything starts with the heart. You know, I don't have, I don't have an altar here, but I have a door, and I want to illustrate this thought of how the altar works. Because today, I hear so many people, especially when we start talking about a series like Kingdom Builders, as we get ready to go and take that next step for God, people will oftentimes tell me that they don't have something and they're not able to do something, and it's really this thing where they say, it's not available. I just, I just don't have it available. I mean, think about this. People will tell me, oh, I don't have any money. I'll take them out to lunch, and I'll be like, oh, I'll, I'll pay for your lunch. And then later, you see them online, and they bought a new pair of shoes. And you're like, wait a minute, I had to pay for your lunch, but yet later, you're showing off your new shoes. Or you see somebody, and they needed to borrow some money, and then you see them with a brand new phone. You're like, wait a minute, you had to borrow money, but yet the problem is their priorities. It's not that they don't have money. It's they have money for what's important. Isn't that interesting? I, I don't care cash. I just stopped because I always just give it away. I just, I just give away cash. So I stopped carrying cash. One day, a homeless person, he asked me, he was like, hey, do you have any cash? And I was like, hey, sorry, man, I just don't carry any cash. And he said, I have Venmo. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're slick, man. Like, that is slick. That is slick. That's that smart. He, he knows, you know. I was, I was beginning to think he'd also say, hey, you can also wire me some crypto or something. You know, The homeless people, they're, they're on a whole different level around here. But it's amazing, Right. Like, we think we don't have money, but we have money for what's important for us. Time. Oh, time. People will tell me, oh, Pastor, I don't, I don't have a lot of time. I'm busy. I, I, I've done the same thing. I remember when I was going through college, and I was working a full-time job, and I was taking 18 credits. Man, I was busy, and I was like, I don't have any free time. And then I got married, and I was in ministry, and I was working a full-time job, and I was like, I don't have any time. And I look back, at when I was in college as a full-time uh, student and working a full-time job, I was like, what did I do with all that free time that I had? I had so much free time. And then we had our first child, Megan. And then I was sleeping at night. Jane was not sleeping. And, uh, but we were just like, where did all our free time go? We used to have so much free time when it was just Jane and I. Every stage in our life, we can look back, and there was always more time than we thought. Talent. Talent. Isn't it amazing people will say, ah, I just don't have any talent. I'm not very talented. I love the Bible over and over. Jesus gives illustrations about how he multiplies. A good steward will take the talent, and he'll multiply it. He'll double it. He'll increase it. I find it fascinating that people today will say, I'm just not very talented. The other day, I was putting in some stuff for a pro presenter. And our amazing intern, he was like, well, I don't know how to do that. And I said, guess what? Neither did I. I figured it out. God gave us an amazing brain. I wasn't trying to be condescending or gaslighting or anything like that, you know. And, uh, but I was just like, hey, it, it, it's amazing. What we can learn. A couple of years ago, we took a mission trip to Panama. And one of our uh, English translators, his English was impeccable. And we we're like, hey, where did you learn English? And he said, YouTube. I was like, isn't that amazing? You can learn anything you want through Google or YouTube these days. So we can't make the excuse that I don't have time, I don't have treasure, I don't have talent. It's not a problem with it being available. That's not actually the problem. And people may hear a series and say, I just don't have it available, Pastor. It's never a problem with what's available. All of us have something. All of us do. And if push came to shove, you would make it happen. I mean, if somebody today... Said, I own a house in San Jose that I will sell to you for $10,000. I guarantee you would find a way to get $10,000. If next week, if I asked you, can I have $10,000 for the building? The same person who could find it to buy the house would be like, oh man, I wish I could. I could Venmo you. (laughs) You got Venmo? I'll Venmo you $10. Isn't it amazing that we can do one, but we can't do the other? Because why? It's all about the heart, actually. You see, our heart is like a door. And on the other side of that door, everything is accessible. Everything's available. The problem, though, with us is it's not accessible because we lock the door on God. You see, the, the truth here in this passage was that they built the altar because they were saying, God... Everything is available, but it's not just available. We want to make it accessible to you, God. The problem in our life is we think it's not available. That's the problem when God's like, actually, it's not anything to do with availability. It's about accessibility. You have lots of things available. You're just not making it accessible. And you and I are like, well, God could just kick down the door of my heart. That's not how God works. That's not love. That's not the language of love. Love shouldn't have to kick down a door to get something from you. If love has to kick down a door, then it really wasn't love. You see, love opens the door, and love says, I'll give you complete access. You see, what they were saying when they were sacrificing, they were saying, God, what we have available is also accessible. I went to a friend's house when I was growing up outside Fresno, and they lived in Kermit. Now, Kerman is like this small town outside Fresno. Most people haven't heard of it. It was on four acres, and it was a unique place. And I'm not even making this up. I can be hyperbolic, but I'm not. They had built a four-acre compound that they put with a high fence. This high fence, you couldn't see out of it and couldn't see in. They built a fence that you could not see out. And this family had adopted a bunch of kids, and they all lived on this little compound. It had a detached garage that they converted into a small little chapel, And then they also did homeschool, and they all did school in this little converted chapel and garage. And my parents are like, hey, we're going to go on a trip, so we're going to let you stay at their house. And they were my friends, and I was like, oh, that'd be cool to go hang out with them. Then I get there, and I was like, huh, there's a gate that locks, and there's this little compound. I was like, this is weird. And it just got weirder from there. You say, why? Because I went into their kitchen, and everything seemed normal, microwave, stove, refrigerator, padlock. Wait, what? And I looked back at the refrigerator, and I saw something on the refrigerator that I normally see on a gate, but I don't normally see them on refrigerators. It was a latch with a padlock on it. And I said, hey, shouldn't that be on a gate, not a refrigerator? Earlier in the day, I saw their mom pull out all this food. There's lots of food in there. But during the day when she wasn't uh, getting to it, she would close it and padlock it and lock it so nobody could get to the food. It was available. It just wasn't accessible. There's a lot that's available in your life. It's just not accessible to God. And what God is trying to get you to see is that you need to make it accessible. Does God have access to every area of your life? We talk about it and all access pass. You ever heard that? Hey, do you want to go to this concert? Yes, but for an extra 500 bucks, we can get an all-access pass. We'll get to get uh, front row parking, We'll get to meet the band afterward. We're going to get VIP seating, they're going to bring stuff. It's an all-access pass. It's amazing that God can send Jesus to die on a cross for you, but yet you and I will hold back and be like, "Oh, I don't know if I can really trust God with all access." Are you serious? God is willing to give all of himself to you, but yet we hold back. It's like if you and I were to go buy a car today, and then the dealership was like, you see this nice brand new car? You're like, yes, I will take it. And then they were like, excellent. And then they hand you a steering wheel. And you're like, wait a minute. No, no, I want the whole car. They were like, no, 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 no. You come back later, and I'll give you another piece of the car. Just keep coming back, and I'll just keep giving you a piece of the car. No, no, I bought the car. They were like, you're still going to get the car. Just going to get it in pieces. No, 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 no. That's, 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 that's not what I signed for I wanted a car and yet we play those games with God we're like hey God yeah I know you died for me and I accepted you but you don't get all of me you get pieces of me and you get bigger pieces on Sunday because that's your day but when it's my day when it's me Monday through Saturday guess what I take a bigger piece And we don't prioritize. And we need to get back to saying, God, I'm going to give you all access past. My time, my treasure, and my talents. God, it's all you. You see, the problem lies in the accessibility. And here's what's amazing. God's able to get everything to you. The Bible says God is able to make all grace abound to you. There's nothing that you and I lack, but yet you and I have this scarcity mentality. That no, there's not enough here. That God, I I, I couldn't do it. You know what's amazing? Some of you are wondering why your life is never advancing. You're not moving. And it happens because the door on your heart is closed. Imagine your relationship if you had a closed heart. That relationship's not going to grow stronger. You imagine if there's a part of you that you're holding back where you're like, I'm quietly quitting at work. Do you think promotion's coming your way? No. Because they know you're holding back a part of your heart and we do it with God, and we don't understand that God can open this door. You see, God could take a few loaves and a few fishes, and he could feed thousands. God can do anything with your time, your treasure, and talents. As a matter of fact, God, when Joshua and the children of Israel were in a battle, God took the sun. He told it to stay, and the sun stood still in the sky so that Joshua and Israel could win the battle. So God is not even limited by time. There was also a king by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah got a disease, and God said, I will heal you, and he said, I want to promise from you that you will heal me and God said I will turn back time you'll see the sundial go back 10 degrees and I will heal you so God can stop time turn back time and yet you and I are still like oh I just don't have time what God is saying nothing should limit everything is available But yet, you and I, we keep closing the door of our heart, and God is like, wait a minute, there's so much I wanna do, and you and I wonder why we're not advancing, and we're not advancing because we've closed this door. Does God have access? That's what God is looking for in our life access. It's not an availability issue, it's an accessibility issue. And you and I, we wanna advance, we wanna go further, and we can't because we feel like God can't get it to us. Isn't it incredible? that here are these people. God used King Cyrus to send them back, and then King Cyrus is gonna bless them with some uh, provision, and then he tells the people to also give to them, and then over and above, he says, also provide an offering for the Lord. So they have all these things to go back, but yet they still said, we're gonna give it to God, but yet you and I, we have so much, and we hold on to it, as if God couldn't bless us, as if God couldn't provide more, as if God couldn't do it. My friend, understand this. God always meets you in the place of sacrifice. God always meets you in the place of sacrifice. Here's why I want you to come to the vision gala, because I wanna complete the story with you. You say, what do you mean complete the story? Well, last year, God laid on Jane and I's heart to sell our house, and many of us are like, what's happened next? And there's a amazing God story that he is writing that I want you to come to the vision gala and hear all the things that God has done. I don't want you to miss out because I know that God meets us in our sacrifice. As Abraham was out up on Mount Moriah in that place where he was about to offer up his Isaac, God provided a ram. God meets us in the moment of our sacrifice. But yet you and I, we hold back, don't we? Like God's not able to. God's able to do immeasurably above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. But some of us will never see it because we're just never willing to risk it. We're never willing to just step out and say, God, okay, my life is open to you. Whatever you want, we're really good about limiting God's access. Instead of just simply saying, you know what, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. I'm going to unlock it. God, anything that you want, it's all yours. My life is yours. And God, as a matter of fact, take the key. Just have all of it. There's a great evangelist, his name was D.L. Moody. He has a famous quote. He said this, he said, the world has yet to see what God will do through one person, wholly committed to him by God's grace, I will be that man. Dale Moody in the late 1800s was an evangelist that went from coast to coast and he also went across the ocean and went to England and he preached the gospel, led revival. They said he won over one million souls to Christ. Dale Moody, he has a church in Chicago that still stands to this day where if you wanna to go to their college, they have a fully accredited college, it's 100% free to go to their college. They started free college before Biden ever did. You can go there totally for free and it's a Bible college. Get a fully accredited degree. And that was the heart of D.L. Moody that still stands to this day. He was uneducated, a shoe salesman in Chicago that God has taken to great places, that God did great things with, and his legacy still endures to this day because he said, all access, all access. There are so many things that you want to do in your life that God is saying, I don't have access. Open the door. The heart is the altar. The problem with the altar is we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice can get off the altar. Have you gotten off the altar? Have you said, God, it doesn't matter if I'm here or if I'm not. And is God calling you back to him? You see, God wants to show you that he will meet you in that moment of sacrifice. But I want you to get this, my friend. Kingdom building is a condition of the heart. That's what kingdom building is all about. I, I love this, At the very end in verse number 7 of chapter 3, the Bible says this, Then the people hired masons and carpenters and brought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine, and olive oil. The logs were brought down from Lebanon, the mountains, and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. For King Cyrus had given permission for this. The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel son of Sheltiel, Joshua son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and the Levites. The Levites, who were 20 years old and older, were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. I love this. They focused on the heart before they focused on God's house. God doesn't want anything from you but your heart. Don't listen to me preach and say, God wants my money. God doesn't want one cent from you, he just wants you. That's what God wants. That you would say, God, I'm gonna give you all of me. That's what God wants. And for you and I, we have to say it's heart before house. That God, it's my heart. Where's it in standing with you? If you have never given your heart to Christ, if you've never said, God, cleanse me, forgive me of my sin, come into my heart, that's the first thing that God wants. You see, Southridge Church does not want your money. We want your heart. Because we understand that where the heart is, everything else will flow from it. The relationships flow from it. The blessings flow from it. Because you can tell when you don't have somebody's heart. You can tell that person that comes into church, and we're singing worship, and you could just tell where they're not into it. they're like, oh yeah, this is amazing grace. I'm tired of this song. You could just tell they're not into it. Hey, you could tell when your spouse is not into it at home, where you're, they're just going through the motions. Hey, can you help move the dishes? Mm. You can tell when a coworker's not into it, when a coworker's giving you attitude, working slow. I think sometimes we, we think we're pulling a fast one over God, like God doesn't notice that we're not really into it. My friend, God can tell if our heart's there or not. God knows. Every relationship, it starts from the heart. I once went on a date with a girl. This is not while I was married to Jane, this is prior. Just in case you wondered, I wanna just clear that. And I'm on a date with this girl And she kept going over to talk to this other guy while she's on the date with me. I finally looked at her and said, hey, would you have rather gone out with that guy? And she looked at me and she was like, yeah. And I was like, then go over there with him. And then it was just me by myself. And I was like, thinking of that song. Lonely, I am so lonely. All on my own. Then Jane came in and rescued me, right? No, she didn't. She wasn't there yet but you can tell when somebody's heart's not there. God knows when our heart's not here. And God is waiting where you and I will say, God, it's all access. I wanna open this thing wide, God. My heart is totally open to whatever you say to me, whatever you want from me, it is all yours. All on the altar of sacrifice I lay. God, I just give it all to you. Whatever you wanna do with it, it's yours. And what's amazing is in that moment, we see how much God does with it because God is not wanting to take from you. He's actually wanting to take what you give him, bless it and multiply it, and then give it back to you. That's the amazing thing about God. God has everything. So the only reason he takes it is so he can give you something better. That's the only reason why God ever took anything. It's because he has more for you. There's the story and you probably heard it, of the little girl who had a plastic string of pearls. And her daddy noticed that she had this little string of plastic fake pearls. And the daddy came over to his daughter and said, can daddy have your pearls? And the little girl said, not my pearls, daddy. These are mine. And the dad said, okay. The next day he asked his daughter again, hey honey, can daddy have your little plastic pearls? pearls. This would happen over and over and over. Until finally one day the daddy went over to the, his daughter and said, can daddy have your pearls? And little crocodile tears began to come down her cheeks. And she took it off and she said, sure daddy, you can have my pearls. And then the dad takes the pearls. He walks over to a trash can Throws him away. And he goes over to his desk drawer, opens it up, pulls out a little box, a jewelry box, opens it up, and reveals a string of real pearls, and hands them to his daughter. We're going to get to it, but this temple. It says the elders began to weep when they saw it, and the young men began to shout and dance. And then you hear a prophecy that this former house shall be greater than the latter house. Greater. This temple, the older ones had seen Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was decked out in gold. It was made with brilliant alabaster columns. It was incredibly gorgeous. And so the older generation, all they could see was this old thing that they once knew. But what they didn't know was that 400 years later, Herod the Great, an evil, a wicked person, but a prideful person, Herod the Great wanted to show Israel how great he was. So you know what he did? He had this passive-aggressive move where he says, I want you guys to worship me, so I'm going to build you a temple that's better than Solomon's. And the temple was bigger and better and more beautiful than Solomon's temple. The foundation they laid. But it doesn't stop there. This temple that they were building, this was a temple that they were going to bring in lambs for sacrifice. But it was this temple that they're building in Ezra 3, that the Lamb of God was going to walk in. And the glory of God was going to actually fill it. God's not trying to hold anything back from you. You say, if I open this up, God's going to hold back on me. No, he's not. He has so much more for you. But will you say, God, my heart, it's all yours. Whatever you want. I hold nothing. I give it all to you of it, it's yours what could God do in your family if you were 100% invested what could God do in San Jose if there were some people who just said um, my whole heart's in this thing you ever watched a prize fighter less talent less training but more heart win a fight like all the time you ever seen a sports team with a sports team they have less clout less talent but they have heart and they win it's all about the heart it always has been it always will be the one thing that God wants is your heart and the one thing we hold on to is our heart and God is saying it's not about availability it's about accessibility kingdom building has to do with the condition of our hearts church but in this passage I find it interesting that they wanted to build the altar first before the temple many times we would say let's build the temple first that's where we gotta pray and see God right but then if you don't have the altar you have no place of sacrifice where you deal with sin and repentance there's no heart in 1 Corinthians 6 the apostle Paul says you The temple. How many altarless temples are there in this room? You're a temple, but you have no altar. There's no place where you deal with your sin, there's no place that you surrender to God. We have enough altarless temples. Let's get back to saying it's the altar first because that altar will alter my life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Can we all stand? As we close, can we just have a posture of just surrender? A posture that's just simply open hand where we say, God, everything that I have is yours. I'm gonna give it all to you. God is not looking for size and significance. God is looking for hearts. surrendered to him. We say, God, all that I have is yours. There's no room, there's no place, there's no corner in my heart that's not yours. There's nothing I withhold from you, God. It's all yours. That's all God wants from us. Because God knows that when he has your heart, he has everything. They don't understand why, and God is saying, "Give me access, and I'll show you what amazing things I can do." As we step through that door, can I pray for you? How many with a heads bowed and eyes closed, but an uplifted hand would say, "Just pray that I would surrender my heart to God." Is that you? Can I pray for you? Oh, Amen, Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see these hands that are just simply saying, God, I just let go. Can we do that in this place? Can we just lift our hands to heaven? Because when you lift your hands, it's the ultimate posture of surrender. When an army defeats another army, they have to raise their hands. And when you raise your hands, you hold nothing. You can cling to nothing. God our hands are lifted towards you. Our hands are fully surrendered. We're saying God, we don't know what the future has. but we know that you have our heart in this moment and we are fully surrendered to whatever you say. for spending time with us today and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one.